Hello and welcome to Rise and Grow Podcast. It's me, your girl, Melinda Rackley, the inspiration engineer. And today I have something very special to share with you. Normally, I do not share the live recordings of the Forgiveness Bootcamp. But um, because of the events going on in our world today in Texas and the weather, there were a few ladies who wanted me to share the audio. So I decided to upload it here so you could join our journey and hear Forgiveness Boot Camp Week 5. So I hope that it's helpful to you. Take a listen. The five keys to ending the dance with dysfunction. They're all in the book. Okay, these five keys do come from this book that we are reading together, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. And if you don't have the book, it's perfectly fine. I'm going to go through it with you today. You can order it after. Or if you choose not to order it, it's fine too, because I'm going to go over the five keys with you all today. And it's from chapters nine and chapters 10. Again, the flow of today is going to be a little different, Um, and that's because I want us to get into these five points, because I know if we get these five points, our life will start to change. We'll start to be, we'll start to see that it's a little easier to forgive when we have these five core principles in place, okay? And I want to start um, on page 123. Relationships that need boundaries will not get better on their own. That one statement. Relationships that need boundaries will not get better on their own. The reason I start with that today is because this is going to be a marker. This is a marker that I'm going to use for my life. Okay. Is this relationship getting better or is it getting worse? If the relationship is not getting better, it's okay. Walk through the process of forgiveness. Continue to work with God as he's working on you. But that's an indicator that boundaries are needed. And that's the first key to ending the dance with dysfunction, boundaries. In chapter nine, the author talks about boundaries a lot. Um, It's really the whole premise. And what's so funny um, for the ladies who were on the Talk Through a Tuesday call, I'll give you guys a confession here. I had not read the full chapter nine and 10. I actually stopped, when I started planning, I stopped at chapter nine. I read up until chapter nine and I'm like, okay, I'll get ahead. I'll keep moving ahead, right? And I just read chapter nine and 10 last week with the schedule that I sent out to you. But I read it after I decided what the next book was going to be. So for you all, the ladies in the group, you know that the next book that we are going to be digesting is Boundaries. This is our next book, right? It's so funny because I prayed and I said, well, Lord, where should we go next? And I just kept seeing this book in my head, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And this is, I've had it on my bookshelf for three years. A lady recommended it to me before that horrible relationship that I talk about quite often. And I purchased the book, but never read the book. And God laid it on my heart. And he's like, if you would have just read this book, you probably would not have ended the way you did in that last relationship. That's just how powerful boundaries are, right? This is our next book, Boundaries. And I wanted to start with that quote because that's the whole premise for today. 
boundaries? Are we setting healthy boundaries with ourselves and with others? That's the first part. The boundaries we set with ourselves. You know, do I have boundaries with me? Do I know that certain people I just can't be around or I can only be around for a certain amount of time? Certain phone calls I can't take after a certain hour in the day because I just don't have the bandwidth to deal with that person and all of their drama, right? Those boundaries, boundaries start with ourselves first. If we don't have good boundaries with ourselves, it's no possible way we can have good boundaries with others, right? So that's the first key to ending the dance with dysfunction. And I wanna open the floor as well to any woman who has something to say about this first point today of boundaries. Awesome, so we're gonna keep moving. We're gonna keep moving to page 125. 125. And there's so much in this chapter that I want us to go over, but I don't want us to get stuck in one chapter like we did last week. So I'm going to move through a little bit faster and hopefully we'll have time at the end. Um, I'm going to email the uh, mommy and me bonus clip. So you should have it in your emails. I would love for you ladies to watch all the ones for the previous week and share those. Um, but I'm not going to show it today. I'm going to email it to you. I feel that God is really doing something different. And so the, the normal format that I tried to do, it just wouldn't work for today. Because today is more about the end of an era for you right? The end of the way you used to dance and the creation of a new dance in your life, right? The end of living a boundaryless life and the beginning of creating boundaries, the beginning of ending that dysfunction that used to run your life. So that's why this session is a little bit different. But if we go to page 125, I, this hit me in my heart, right? Actually, I'm going to start at 124. And we're on the third paragraph. In the end, you will have used up everything you have and find yourself crying in a heap of frustration at best, devastation at worst. It's truly one of the most heartbreaking moments in anyone's life when they have when they have to release a loved one to the consequences of their own choices. But it's also the only chance that either of you have at getting better. And it's the only shot you have at staying healthy enough to walk the road of forgiveness. I love this because it tells us it's hard. It's hard to let go of that person. It's hard to start pulling back so you can create those boundaries. But it's the only way, it's the only hope that you have if you wanna be able to create those boundaries and forgive, right? And now let's move over to 125 at the bottom. But saving someone isn't possible if they don't agree they need to be saved. 
Even if I get them off the tracks in this moment, they'll climb right back on them tomorrow. How many times have we seen people do that, right? We help them. We help them. We help them. We love them. And then what happens? Tomorrow, they end up going right back to that thing that we helped them out of. And then we're like, no, why did they do that? You know, we can't be more invested in their healing and deliverance than they are. And this part stuck out to me. If your heart is more committed to change than theirs, you may be able to delay the train wreck, but you will not be able to save them from it. And from what I've experienced, the more you keep jumping onto the tracks to rescue them, the more likely that it is that the train will run over you both. How many times have you been ran over by someone else's train, right? A train that didn't even belong to you. A train that you could have, you didn't have to experience if you would have just had healthy boundaries and realized, okay, I can't be so invested in this person. And this is a very personal walk for me, ladies, because, you know, there is a lady that I talked about in the, the first group that we did with um, When Women Pray. And, you know, it was a miraculous thing that God did when he delivered her from an abusive marriage and bought her out and, you know, help things to move very swiftly. And now this lady, it's almost like she is a complete stranger to me. And I opened up my home and she lived here and I gave everything that I had to help. But now I realize I can't be more invested in her healing than she is, right? And when a person hurts you in any way, it could be, you know, a one-time thing that, you know, they're not hurt or whatever, but it's rare that a person who hurts you isn't hurting. It's very rare. It's rare that a person who mishandles you hasn't been mishandled. So it's like, we have to learn how to not take things personal. And the way we do that is through self-control. Okay, that's the second way we end the dance with dysfunction, self-control. So the first thing we talked about, the first way to end dysfunction in the dance with dysfunction is boundaries. And then the second one is self-control. Okay, and we're on page 127. Okay. And I'm going to start at the bottom of 126. I want them saved, but I am not their savior. Y'all listen, I'm going to have to get a whole sign to put that in my house and walk around with it. I need to write it on my arm every day. I want them saved, but I am not their savior. I want them healed, but I am not their healer. Okay. And that's, that's how we walk through this forgiveness thing. I, yes, I want you to experience the fullness of life and the joy and all that God has for you, but it's, I can't do it for you. It's something that you have to want. I want them better, but I cannot work harder than they can. They need Jesus. They need self-control. So I shift from efforts of control to efforts of compassion. Here she said two things, self-control and compassion. That's our third thing. So in order to end this dance with dysfunction, we need first what? Boundaries. Then we need what? Self-control. And then we move to compassion. Three things so far that we need in order to end the dance with dysfunction. 
right? And I'm going to move down to the bottom of the page. But weeping with them and rejoicing with them does not mean trying to take control of their out of control choices and behaviors. We can forgive them, but we cannot control them and we should not enable them. So that's another point. We should not enable them. And that's number four. Stop enabling. Stop enabling, right? And that's so hard to do as women, as people walking on the planet. It's hard to not enable. And we hear this term enabling a lot, but I love the way Lisa outlines it on page 127, okay? It says, the term enabling is often used for friends and family who seem to perpetuate addictive behaviors in a loved one by covering up their choices, rescuing them from choices, and smoothing over the issues they cause. But the term can also be used for how we handle family members whose behaviors aren't just caused by addiction, but also by other issues they refuse to acknowledge and expect others to go along with and accept as normal. Okay, and I love what her counselor says. I am enabling someone when I work harder on their issues than they are working. How many of us are guilty of that? How many are guilty, right? <laughs> You working so hard and they over there sitting, sipping their tea while you working. You're enabling them. I'm enabling someone when I allow them to violate my boundaries without any consequences. This one hit me so hard. I allow them to violate my boundaries without any, without any consequences. I'm enabling someone when I co-sign their unhealthy behavior by defending them. Who are you co-signing? Who are you co-signing for? That's such an important question. By defending them, explaining for them, looking the other way, covering for them, lying for them, or keeping secrets for them. I am enabling a person by blaming other people or situations for their unhealthy or irresponsible behavior. Remember, Forgiveness shouldn't be an open door for people to take advantage of us. Forgiveness releases our need for reconciliation, not our need for boundaries. That is one of the most powerful quotes in this book. Let's look at it again. It's at the bottom of page 127. Remember, forgiveness shouldn't be an open door for people to take advantage of us. Forgiveness releases our need for retaliation, not our need for boundaries. Not our need for boundaries. And I want to take a pause right here because I've been talking for quite some time. I'm going to sip a drink of water and I want you all, if anyone has anything to say or if a quote has stuck out to you uh, from any page that we've addressed so far, please unmute feel free to share. Again, I will uh, take this portion out of the recording. And the only reason I am recording today is because I do have two sisters who are in Texas who could not make it today. And they did send me a message that they wanted to still see the, the course today. So that's who I'm gonna be sharing it with, but I will take out the portions where you all share. So if you have anything you wanna share from the four points we've talked about so far, please feel free to unmute and share your thoughts.
Lynn, Sarah, I'll share. Um, and you also have my permission to keep this in the recording if you'd like to. Um, so something that comes for me because this is really divine this week. Um, I've been experiencing this in my life this week. So boundaries are really hard, but when we talk about these four components, something that strikes me as really important in order to be able to carry out this process is I, you know, I personally think you have to know yourself really well and you have to be super in touch with, you know, what are my non-negotiables? What am I willing, you know, who am I willing to associate? Who am I willing to give my love and friendship to? Um, and for those you're not willing, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. You know, there's nothing personal about that. It just means you know yourself well enough to know with, with energy and attention being such a precious, limited resource, you know, who are you going to choose to give that to in your life? And so without a healthy self-awareness and sitting down and kind of introspecting about just what do I want out of my life? People, places, and things, experiences, it'd be really hard to follow these steps. Yes, I so agree with you, Sarah. And, you know, I love, God is so intentional, so intentional, because it's like, if you've been going through the process so far, those last three chapters, you know, uh, connect, collecting, connecting and correcting the dots, that self-discovery process, that deep dive into who I was, it showed me exactly what you're saying. Like, I did not know who I really was. Like, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what my non-negotiables were. I didn't know what friendships, relationships I could, I didn't have the capacity to be a part. I just didn't know that. So that is so true. And it's like, as I'm seeing life now, even with the situation with the lady that I helped, it's like, I'm seeing now that I am used to allowing anybody to come in and give me what they think I, I need or should have. And that's not a boundary. A boundary is you can still come in, but there's a limit to what I will accept, what I will allow, and what I will let you give to me and keep being your friend. Right? It's and for me, that was one of the hardest things because you want people like our need to be loved and accepted sometimes causes us to accept people who shouldn't have never walked through the door. <laughs> right they should have never been allowed in there in the first place and you know it's almost like there's a quote that I wrote in one of my books and it's boundaries are created at the point of resistance right and so what point in your life do you feel like your soul is resisting that person at what point is it like this doesn't feel right that's your inside telling you, you a boundary is needed here. At what point do you feel an attitude rising up when someone talks to you about something? A boundary is needed here, whether that's a boundary with yourself or a boundary you have to cre create with another person. But as I'm going through, because I'm only 32, I've been through a lot. I feel like I'm like 90. But, you know, at 32, I realize my parents... And me and my mom talked about this last night. A lot of boundaries that 
we need to set as, you know, my, as my mother's daughter, boundaries that I need to set and that I didn't set were the same boundaries that she needed to set and she didn't set. So the same boundaryless life she had was then transferred to me. And it's my responsibility right now to go back and reparent that little girl. Because while she's still my mom, she cannot go back and reparent that, you know, seven-year-old inside of me that I know who doesn't have boundaries. That seven-year-old on the playground or in the room, whatever. She can't go inside of me and reparent that person. Only I can do that. And that requires self-awareness. You know, it requires a willingness a willingness to go through that process. And listen, I'll say this every week. I will continue to say it. Get a counselor, okay? Do not, do not try and tackle this forgiveness or setting boundaries or stopping enabling behaviors by yourself. Don't even try to do it with your best friends. They're good. You can walk through it with them. Get a counselor. Someone who is outside of your friends, outside of your family, Somebody who you have to pay. The reason why I say you need to pay them is because when you spend your money, you're going to get serious, okay? You're not going to waste time. You're going to make that the most impactful hour of your life because you paid your money, okay? Get a counselor and pay them. And I promise you, you'll see some progress. So thank you, Miss Sarah, for sharing that. That's, that was so, such a good point. Anyone else? Yep. Uh, Melinda, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am, we can. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad um, it's highlighted in the book about, you know, that, that the fact that the, the progress, um, the process of forgiveness does not mean releasing those boundaries, because especially, you know, in the church, that is a lie that we've been led to believe. And many abuses and atrocity take place because of that, um, that false belief that, okay, right now I've forgiven the person that they can keep abusing me and do whatever they want because we're Christians. We, we just take it. And, and so many people, and by the way, Melinda coaches are good as well, not just counselors, coaches too. <laughs> um, as long as they're qualified, but yeah. So um, yeah, there, there, I spend a lot of time as well trying to, it, you know, my boundaries have always been there because once they were violated, I had them firmly in place. That was, that's how I learned what I would and would not compromise with. So yeah, it's essential. And you know, we like to be nice. And, and there's this notion that we feel um, selfish if we don't, if we're not at everyone's beck and call. Oh, I've got to answer the phone. I've got to do this. And I'm quite comfortable right now. Perhaps I'm, I'm not as nice as all the rest of you, but I'm very comfortable saying, no, you can't have it. No, go away. Don't bother me. So yeah, thank you for highlighting that, Melinda. Oh, and just one more thing, sorry. Um, yeah, I know that on the journey of forgiveness, it's not, it's not so much retaliation because sometimes we can think we've forgiven the person because we, we um, don't want vengeance, but actually it's more than that. For me, it's a simple thing. So that's why boundaries are important. I don't want to continue to be um, oppressed by, by a person or a system or whatever it is that, that is doing that. So that's the hardest part about forgiveness. Because if I forgive you, it might mean that you cannot come in my space. We cannot be physically reconciled. And, and then the, the, the perpetrator might then think, well, I'm not forgiven because we don't have the relationship like we used to. So that's the bit that I'm working out right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love that. And, and you know what? It's so funny you say that because we're in the same spot. 
we are like in the same exact spot because it's like, you know, I forgive this person and oh my gosh, I still have to keep in contact with one of the people that I had to go through a forgiveness process with. But it's like, oh God, this person is still talking to me and thinking we can still hang out and be cool. When, mm-hmm. no, no, there are boundaries in place now, you know, and it's, uh, I'm, I need to get like you, Miss Madsen, be like, no, back up, okay, because <laughs> I find myself now like, oh, let me kind of walk a little lightly, because my boundaries have changed, my, the way I see the world, the way I navigate, the way I work has changed, but they have stayed the same, so they're mm-hmm. thinking they can just come and go as they please, but it's like, oh my god, it challenges who you are, when you have to walk in a boundary that you created and the other person still thinks that they are free to come and go as they please in your life, <laughs> you know, yeah. even my own sister, you know, it was devastating because this is my sister. I only have one sister and, you know, she decided that she didn't want to talk to our family. And, you know, it was <clears throat> things that other people did to her that I didn't do you know, and I would always just, you know, send her money and cash out when I thought about her and, you know, just do little things to try and let her know I'm here. I love you. And so she would have moments where she would come back into my life and my daughter's life. And my daughter would be so happy because she would get to see her cousins again. And she would just disappear. She would come back, disappear, and come back and disappear. And every time she came back, I welcomed her with open arms as if nothing ever happened. I never made her talk about it. And recently when I started doing this forgiveness thing, I realized that that was bothering me. And then when I got to a certain point, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, she reached out to me. I had sent her a text message just to check in. And she sent me something back that was silly. Pray for my sister, y'all, because she smoked a lot of weed, okay? And it messes with her mind. And so she sent me back something silly. And in that moment, I felt the resistance in my heart. And it's like, okay, a boundary is needed here. And I said, I love you, but I cannot continue to do this in and out. I cannot continue to be an ATM when you need it. I cannot continue to let you in and out as you please because you're going through something. My life is settling out and I will pray for you. May God be with you, but you got to choose in or out. That was a boundary I had to create for myself because if not, I'm going to teach my daughter that it's okay for you to let people go in and out. Even if they're family, let them be abusive and just decide whenever they want to come in and out of your life and you just keep loving them with open arms. No, no, create a line and don't want to cross that line, right? Mm. And one other thing, uh, Melinda, you know what it does? What you've highlighted is it, it will breed resentment. If you don't put those boundaries in, you will become resentful and become the opposite of the thing that you're trying to achieve. So that is why it is essential, you know. Um. I love that because it's like I felt myself isolating, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you go through things, when you don't have boundaries, you think the best way to deal with it is in isolation. And it's not. The Bible even tells us it's not good for us to be alone. One of the best, and Ms. Mads, I'm so glad you mentioned coaches because one of the best, the most life-changing experiences I had was with a spiritual coach. And she was in another state. I don't remember how I found this lady, but when I tell you that lady coached me from the fetal position in the middle of my bed to what you see now, you know, and she was a coach and she was a 
amazing, a spiritual coach. And, you know, they're even life coaches, all different kinds of coaches. And they do just what their name is. They coach you, get up, get up. Come on, let's, let's work. Let's go through this because you'll start to isolate. And that resentment, that is one of the most bitter pills you can ever take, resentment, because it affects you. And the world is going on. And a sky that is bright and sunny is now great because you've taken the pill of resentment, right? <laughs> so thank you for bringing that up. And now I want to jump right back into the book. And I want to talk a little bit about compassion. Um, it took me a while to understand the difference between compassion and sympathy. It took me a minute. Because I used to be like very sympathetic, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Let me, let me, oh my, you know, you feel sorry for someone, but it's a difference. You can have compassion for them and still be like, may God bless you. Now, how can we move forward? You can have compassion for someone and you don't have to become the carrier of their sorrow. Okay, you can have compassion for them and you don't have to take their issue and put it on your shoulders and walk around with a hunched over back because you're carrying somebody else's problem. All right, and I love what she says. On page 132. And it's about compassion. And this, this whole chapter is so riddled with nuggets about compassion. So if you haven't read it, please go back through and read it because literally I have almost full pages highlighted okay like it's such this chapter is great it's like the last two chapters and it says compassion is key to forgiveness as long as you're trying to control a person you can't truly forgive them part of this is because you are continuing to place yourself in real-time frustrations that short circuit the forgiveness process but the other reason is that without boundaries, their continued poor choices will bankrupt your spiritual capacity for continued compassion. Not to mention the fact that at some point you will get so exhausted and wore down, you will lose your self-control because they are so out of control. You'll sacrifice your peace on the altar of their chaos. I'll stop right there. How much of your peace have you sacrificed on the altar of someone else's chaos? Right? For me, y'all, it was so recent. I'm telling you, I was going through the When Women Pray group and I had opened my doors and I knew that it was something that God wanted me to do. It was a learning experience, an instrumental learning lesson. And it's in my next book. Um, and it, I learned a whole lot, but there was other chaos. I, I sacrificed my peace on the altar of that person's chaos. And I had to learn that it was okay for me to, even though I was in my house that I invited this person into, it was okay for me to go in my room and close my door and just enjoy my peace because I could no longer afford to give them my peace. Okay, I had to forgive them for not knowing how to deal with their self and not having self-control and being dramatic and keep on going in my life, creating those boundaries. And understand, boundaries aren't to push others away. They are to hold me together. Hold on to that quote this week. Boundaries are not to push others away. They are to hold 
me together. Hold on to that, y'all. And then we move to 133. And these questions, I love these questions. Okay. One of the questions that stuck out for me, um, y'all, if y'all see my computer moving, that's my daughter. She's down there on the floor and she was playing with the cords. I like to explain every play that's going on, right? Because this is our safe space and I don't want nothing to hinder our safe space. So if you see the computer move, it's my child. She's playing with the cord down there. I don't know why she decided she wants to come and play with cords, but she's playing with the cord and her iPad. So that's what that is. Um, some good questions to consider for the sake of progress. And this is one, and I want everybody, if you feel up to it, if you have a book, pick out a question and I want you to share it. Even if you just type it in the comments, pick out a question that sticks out to you, okay? To consider for the sake of progress. And I'm reading the questions here. What kind of person do I want to be? Not just in this relationship, but consistently in all my relationships. That'll help us create boundaries, figuring out what kind of person I wanna be. The next question, what do I need to do in this relationship to stay consistent in my character, conduct, and communication? What are some areas of my life where I have the most limited capacity? Examples of this at my job in parenting during the holidays. Based on my realistic assessment of capacity, how does this relationship threaten to hyperextend what I can re realistically and even generously give? This next question was the one that stuck out to me. This is my question that I'm gonna keep asking myself this week. Do I feel freedom in this relationship to communicate what I can and cannot give without the fear of being punished or pushed away. That one was most powerful because sometimes you just don't feel free in a relationship to say what's really going on without that person stop talking to you or they get an attitude or whatever, whatever. Do, do I feel free to do that? The next question, what are some realistic restrictions I can place on myself to reduce the access to this person that this person has to my most limited emotional or physical resources? The next question, what time of the day is the most healthy for me to interact with this person? And that's just some of the questions that we have. And then all the questions are on 133 and 134. Pick one of these questions and let that be your question for the week. Pick one of these questions and let it be your question for the week. And you know, one brave soul, if you're brave enough to unmute and tell me which question stuck out to you. Hi, Melinda. Hello, Melinda. <laughs> that was my question. That that question was my question mm -hmm. because so many because, you know, I'm real quiet, you know, mm -hmm. and I'll take in when everybody says, you know, even if they're, they're jabbing me with, you know, they're on their pedestal talking about me or telling me what I need to do. And so um, I listen. But then it comes a point because sometimes people 
say what they want to say to you, but when you turn that around and say what you need to say to them, you know, oh, they hurt. Oh, oh, they all in their feelings. Oh, you know, but I'm like, okay, you can dish it out, but you cannot take it. So I, I've, I've learned to uh, uh, speak more freely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't, I don't worry about, um, not that I'm not concerned, but I don't worry about how they feel. Yeah. Because they weren't concerned about how I felt when they was dishing me my bowl of soup, you know, with a big old ladle. You know, it didn't mean anything. You know, they just said it. So that's that's me, and I guess that's part of uh, my uh, boundaries, because um, I've recently learned. I guess this past decade, my favorite word is no, mm. because I used to be yes to everybody, you know. And when I was yes to everybody, you know, it sounded like Liz, girl, why, why you say yes? You know, you didn't want to say yes. You know, but you want me to make okay. You know, so some a lot of times I say no. And there was one time um when I was doing some work for this lady that she wanted me to uh do something that and charge wanted me to um she wasn't what what was it? What I was doing for her, I had a certain boundary amount I needed her to pay me to do it. But she felt that, no, that was too much. But it wasn't too much because you don't know the details it takes for me to get done what you want done. Because, see, this is what I do. So I know how long it takes. And a lot of times I've done things for less when I should have done things for more. And then I end up hurting myself, feeling bad. Why'd you do that? You know, because they're like, oh, this is great. Then they come with some more stuff and don't want to pay you what you need to be paid. <laughs> you know, but if they go to the store or something, they're like, oh, girl, that's a good price. I could have had it. You know, but if it's you doing stuff, then they have a problem, you know. So I've learned to say uh, no. And at first, it used to bother me. I'm like, no, no. But now it's like, no. Yeah, you know, when you stand your ground, it's like that superwoman pose. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I said no, I did it, and I stuck and stick to your guns and, st- and, and stick to your guns. But this, um, the fear of being punished or pushed away, you know, sometimes everybody don't need to be in your in your life. Everybody don't have to be in your life. You know, it's just like uh, it come people come and go. You know, you can't keep everybody all the time some people are just meant to be there for a season so once you realize that then it's all good yeah then you can get your um your um it comes your self-control and your your compassion sometimes you're trying to give it to other people but sometimes you just need to suck it all in and give those same things to yourself that's so true i love that give it to yourself first give it to you and you know that is so true about the prices with my publishing company, I recently redid my website and I told the designer, excuse me, I said, put all the prices on the website. Okay. You're not going to call me and ask me how much this costs. Put it, tell them to go to rackhousepublishing.com. It's on the website. I'm not changing the price. It's on the website. I'm not negotiating. It's on the website. Don't DM me for the price. It is on the website <laughs> because it's like when people know that you will negotiate your price with them, they will haggle you. Even if they have the money, they'll get you down to 50 cents for something that costs $500. Mm-hmm. 
right? And it's like, it's not their fault. They knew what they wanted to do. You just didn't have a boundary. So that hit that hit home for me right there, Miss Elizabeth, because that's something I'm learning now is, is boundaries. And don't shake them. Don't move them. Don't break them. Keep with them. <laughs> Keep with them. So again, I want to go over one more time uh, the four keys we went over so far. And today it's all about ending the dance with dysfunction. And it's five keys to ending the dance with dysfunction. The first one is compassion. Second, ending enabling behavior. Third, we talked about boundaries. And then we talked about self-control. And as we get ready to wrap up, it's one last thing I wanna share, but before I get there, it's a few other things. In chapter 10, before we end this on chapter 10, um, I want to end with the quote for chapter nine and it's on page 135 and it says it's for the sake of your sanity that you draw necessary boundaries it's for the sake of stability that you stay consistent with those boundaries that's so important sanity and stability boundaries boundaries if you want to be sane and stable create boundaries and stick with them and um and on page 136 remember this when setting boundaries adults inform children explain i will set my boundaries with compassion and clarity i like that first sentence adults inform children explain we no longer have to explain why our boundary is there. We no longer have to spend 10 minutes saying, well, I can't do this because no, just no. It's a complete sentence. Just no. You know, and it's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard because I'm so guilty. I do it almost every day without even thinking about it. I'll say, well, I can't do this because I have to do this and I have to do that. And, and I really, I need to do, and I'm like, no, wait, I'm an adult. I am not a child. I do not have to explain. And a friend recently got upset with me because I set a boundary because I would like invite her to do something and she would be like, oh, I can't do this because I am so busy doing blah, blah, blah. And I said, you don't have to explain. And I wasn't trying to be rude, but the reality is I don't care. Like, I don't care why you, I don't care why. I don't care either you're going to do it or not. I don't. I don't care that you're so busy. Like, I, I don't care, right? And it sounds mean, but I don't. We need what we need and we want what we want. That's the nature of humans. So I think she got mad because I said, you don't have to explain. And it, I guess it was a new boundary for her because her message back was, well, I'm not explaining. I'm just letting you know that I'm just so busy. Sweetie pie, I do not care. Okay, <laughs> so I moved on with my life. And I, I really shouldn't even call this person a friend because I know it's not my friend. Um, but I think that's why that upset her because she was so used to giving me everything, vomiting everything that's going on in her life and why she's so busy. And then I have all this sympathy. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? No, I don't care. Keep it moving. Okay, so it changed the dynamic of the relationship, but I like it now because the mission 
can be accomplished. We can finish this project that we're supposed to be doing without all these unnecessary excuses. I, I, cause she know now I, she really couldn't care any less about what I, what I got going on. And it's not me. It's just knowing that I have a tendency to, to carry other people's stuff and I don't have to explain myself anymore to anyone. Okay. That's ladies. We got to keep that in our mind. We don't have to explain. And this next one on page 136, I can mute someone's social media account that triggers unhealthy reactions when I see them. Listen, listen, I skip over mute and go straight to block. I probably shouldn't. I probably should try this first, but the way my life is set up right now, honey, I will block you. Okay, if you post something that I feel I don't want to see and it's more than once, I'm not going to have a debate with you on your page about your beliefs. Blocked. Boop. I'm done. <laughs> and I keep it moving. That's a boundary. Remember, boundaries are created at the point of resistance. Boundaries are created at the point of resistance. Whether that's a trigger, whatever you feel yourself resisting against, a boundary either needs to be created there or you're having a problem with the boundary that is there. But boundaries are created at the point of resistance. Okay, we got to have healthy boundaries. And, um, you know, I welcome, I'm going to leave a little room here as we wrap up on chapter nine. It's only, it's one major thing we're going to talk about for chapter 10, so it won't take us that long. But as we wrap up, our thoughts on chapter nine. I want to open the floor for anyone who would like to share their thoughts or if I missed a part that stuck out to you in chapter nine. What are your thoughts on these four points that we've talked about so far? All right. So now we're going to move on to chapter 10. Y'all. Chapter 10 was good. It's so good. And what I like about chapter 10 is it left us with a question. That's going to be our fifth point. So don't skip there to the end just yet. But on page 141, this question that it starts with is so powerful. And I found myself there so often. Sometimes even during the week, I find myself here. And it says at the bottom of page 141, but how do you move forward when you don't have a clue which direction is forward? All right. And when we talk about the, the topic for this week, ending the dance with dysfunction, sometimes when you are dancing, right? If you're going in circles, you're doing a tango, you're doing whatever you're doing, you don't know if you're going forward, backward, you're just stuck in the dance. You could be going in a circle. You're stuck in the dance. And that's how we are in life sometimes. We're stuck in the dance. We're moving, hey, hey, but we're not going forward, right? We're doing this line dance that we keep doing the same moves over and over and over and over again. That's how it is when we don't take a moment to say, I'm going to end this dance with dysfunction. And this is a powerful question. How do you move forward when you don't know which way is forward? And go with me to... Page 146, page 146. And at the top, 
she goes through the three questions, the most common questions that are Googled about God. I'm not going to read all of that, but I brought that up to mention that we are not alone in our wandering, which way is forward, or wondering if God is even there, or if he's on a coffee break, or if he decided he wanted to take a nap when we called him that day, or if he sent us to the mute box, or even if he blocked us on his Facebook page, okay? We are not alone in our wandering. If God is listening and God is still there, millions of people around the world have the same exact questions. And even after we've set our boundaries, we've started having compassion and self-control and we stop enabling behavior, you're still going to wonder, God, are you there? Like you're going to be like, hey, Jesus, is your microphone on? What are your office hours? Do I need to come back at a different time when you're available? You know, <laughs> and it's, it's easy for our hopefulness to become hopeless. Right, it's so easy to move from hopeful to hopeless. And then before you know it, you sitting in the corner somewhere smoking a cigarette and you don't even smoke. Okay, it's so easy to get there. It's so easy and you're not alone in that. And I like this, what she says, we're still on page 146. And it says, what makes faith fall apart isn't doubt. It's being too certain of the wrong things. Becoming too certain of the wrong things. And I wanna give an opportunity for anybody who would like to comment on that before I continue. I'm gonna mute myself for just one second and grab a drink of water. But anybody who wants to comment on that, you know, what makes faith fall apart is not doubt. It's becoming too certain of the wrong things. Thank you so Down much. Down there in that same verse. Oh, no, go ahead. I just want to thank um, oh. New. Thank you so much for joining, and we hope to see you again. Thank you. Sure. Bye bye. 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 Now is the turning point. Right. It's, it's, we talked through all of the dots we connected over the years. We talked through how we connected them to our relationships. And now it is time for. There we go. All right. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Miss Brenda. That's okay. So in that same paragraph where it says, what I see is absolute proof that God is not working, that God isn't working when she's talking about when we become too certain of the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times things seem to be falling apart, but they're actually falling into place. Yeah. And I think that's why we have to remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because a lot of times when we look at the condition of things, we can draw the wrong conclusion concerning it. When actually things are actually pulling in to work together for, for our good and in our favor. Yes. I love that because God's ways are not like ours. His plans are so much better than my little raggedy piece together plans from other people's broken drum promises and dreams and stuff. I think I want to do my little raggedy plans. Sometimes it's just like, girl, now, you know, God got so much better for you. But I like how she said that, you know, 
what makes faith fall apart isn't doubt it's becoming too certain of the wrong things because there's so many times in my life that i was sure i knew what god was doing like yes i know the direction we are moving in yes you know even with the books i just knew okay we're gonna do forgiveness and then we're gonna go back to fervent and it's like no you became too sure of the wrong things who is in control of your life a God first life is often an unpredictable life because you are trusting a, a higher power. Okay. You are trusting somebody who you can't sit next to and punch in the face when they get on your nerves. Okay. And it can be frustrating and so easy to believe, you know, what's to think. I know what's going on. You know, even when I was overcoming the stroke, y'all, I just knew that God was going to bring full motion back to my toes. I just knew like God is going to listen. I'm going to be able to wiggle my toes and do, and he never did. And that bothered me because I'm like, wait, God, don't you love me? Don't you want me to walk around? But he wanted to remind me that I am God and I can do miraculous things. I will help you to be able to walk on a foot that you cannot feel. I want to show you how miraculous I am. I don't want you to read about the, the miracles in the Bible. I want you to be a walking miracle. And every time you walk, I want you to understand that that scripture is true. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. That is a little, like, I literally live that in my life. Every time I take a step, I can't feel the, the ground that I'm walking on. I know it's there. The ground is the most loyal lover you can ever have because it ain't going to never leave you, girl. You can fall down a million times and it'll always hold you, the ground, okay? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's God wants to show us that our faith is falling apart because we are becoming too certain of the wrong things. We're becoming too certain that if we forgive, that person is going to come back. We're becoming too certain that we have it within our strength to heal this relationship without God. Don't be too certain of the wrong things. I challenge you to write down all of the things you think you know and just lay it at, just give it to God. Like, God, take care of this. Show me what it really is. And he will open your eyes. When I did that, y'all, that is when that relationship went through the roof. The day I said, God, whoever is not for me, no matter what I think or how much I want them to be in my life, remove them. That very same day, it happened. Okay, it was October the 25th, 2020. I will never forget that day, that very day. Me and my mom prayed together on the 23rd and she said, now listen, I know you may want this person in your life, but you need to really pray about this. You need to really pray about this. And you know, when your mama say something three times in a row, you're like, all right, let me, let me go ahead and do it. She said it once and let it go. All right. But she said, you need to really pray about this. Then she looked away. She looked at me. You need to really pray about this. And I said, yes, ma'am. Then she said, but you just really need to pray about this. I said, well, dog, okay, girl, I, I hear you, girl, dog, you know, <laughs> gone on, Betty G, you know, <laughs> but I prayed that night, October 25th, October 25th, that was the first and only time I have ever got into a physical altercation with a man. And it was over a woman or women or whatever. But God had already told me 
but I was just so certain that this man, this is the man, this is the one. I'm gonna marry this one. I don't put two years of my life into this. Listen, I have let him sign off on certificates for my business. I have went and worked for him to help his business go. This is the one, y'all. Mind you, the same man had already been married four times and had three different baby mamas and all of this, all this baggage. And I'm only 32. I've never been married. I only got one child. I got my own business. I'm doing okay for myself. And I was settling for the bottom because I didn't have boundaries. You know, I put my faith in all the wrong things and people. And so it fell apart. When that relationship ended, y'all, I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Like every decision I made, I did not make it without this person. And I think there's maybe only one person on here who knows. Candace, I think you might be the only person who knows me a little bit more personally than the others. So girl, listen, it's my business time. I know you ain't gonna tell my business, but you know, you, you, you can attest to the fact that whenever you saw me, you saw this person. There was no decision that I made without filtering it through this person, not God, this person. My faith was in this person. I became too sure of the wrong things. And that's what made my faith fall apart. And when I went on October 25th, the way God is, I had to, we were out of town. We were five hours away from home. And the day we decided to drive back, I said, I'll drive. I don't normally drive. But this time I said, I need to be in charge of where I'm going. I need to be in charge of this. So I drove those five and y'all, the Lord put him in the deepest of sleeps. He was over there slobbing with his mouth open. And I was worshiping the whole way back. And I, I have not seen this person. Since then, I walked away that day. I set a boundary that day. I will not allow this to happen to me again. It only took one time for that, the boundary, right? And as I am walking through forgiveness now, the way God is, and I chose to end with this, this is, this is God, but I taught a writing class this, this last Thursday. And there was somebody else who knew this person as well. And they was like, oh, did he get engaged? I was like, I don't know. It's only been three, three, four months that we haven't seen each other. I said, I don't know, but God bless him. And y'all, I looked down at my bracelet. It says forgiveness. And I realized that for the first time, somebody was able to bring me some news about this person. And I didn't feel nothing inside. I didn't feel nothing. Y'all, yes. Yeah, and no, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, look, y'all, listen, I felt nothing. I wasn't angry. I wasn't bitter. I wasn't mad. I wasn't sad. It was like, hmm, is this what forgiveness feels like? There is a beauty of forgiveness. And when I got to the end of chapter 10, this is awesome. This, I've written it on my mirror. And this is my question for the week. And as we close out, I challenge you to make this your question for the week. What if I've been thinking of this all wrong? Page 154. What if I have been thinking of this all wrong? There is so much power in the what if. The what if takes us from what is going on right now 
to the endless possibilities of the things that God can do. And that is our fifth thing, our fifth key point in ending the dance with dysfunction. Change your thinking. What if? What if? What if God allowed me to go through that experience just so I could be there for the lady who reached out to me that day I made that post on Facebook and she said she was in an abusive relationship and I could open my doors to her and allow her to come here until she was able to move out on her own. What if I had to go through that relationship so that I could do this reading group because I would have never done it before because the guy would have been like, no, that's silly. What if? That relationship was a door. It wasn't a destination. It wasn't a, it wasn't a permanent spot that I'm, I can never erase from my life. It was a beautiful time of exploring. And because I didn't already have boundaries, because my mother didn't have boundaries, because we never had this conversation, what if the purpose of that relationship was to help me create the boundaries that I now have so that this amazing husband can come into my life. What if, right? What if I went through that stroke and I'm now walking in healthy so that I can help another woman who goes through a stroke to know that it's not the end of the world. You're still beautiful. You're still loved. You're still wonderful. And you can get through this. What if, right? What if, and that's such a powerful question because it turns off. It turns off that thing in your mind that says I'm stuck. It turns off that dreaming in reverse grieving. It turns off that feeling that I can't get through this. And it turns on that thing, that passion, that excitement, like, oh my God, what if God really does have good plans for me? What if? So that's how we're going to end today. I'm going to email you all the video with me and my mom. I'll make sure you have it sometime today. <laughs> um, but think about that. Sit on that. The five, the five keys to ending the dance with dysfunction. Five keys. Compassion. Stop enabling behavior. Self-control. Boundaries. And change your thinking. What if? Those five things. Let's take those with us this week. And I want to open the floor um, for about, uh, about two minutes. If anyone wants to share, uh, please feel free to unmute and share. And then I'll pray and then we'll be gone. It's Brenda. I just want to ask everyone to pray for me because you got to me with the change of thing. I think that's going to be so hard to do. It sounds easy, but it's almost like autopilot. So I'm going to work on the changing my thinking this weekend. I would appreciate it if everyone would pray for me. Yes, we will. And thank you for joining Miss Brenda. I'm going to, because you're also in Texas, right? Yeah. Who else is in Texas? I think it's two people, three people. Yes. Three people. Oh my gosh. I'm going to pray for all of you. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm definitely going to do a special prayer for you all. Thank you. <laughs> Brenda is three. I literally, I'm still in the process of changing my thinking. And it's only because I've started to become exhausted with the things that my mind keeps replaying. It's like, 
I don't want to think that way anymore. And it's three words that have helped me to change my thinking. And those three words are be, do, and have. Be, do, and have. And now when I have a thought, I ask myself, all right, who am I being right now? Who am I being right now? Am I being the victorious Melinda that is overcoming or am I being the defeated Melinda that is feeling limited and unable to get through this? Who am I being? That's the first question. The second thing, do. What am I doing that's triggering this thinking pattern that I'm having? What am I doing right now? Because a lot of times our thinking or our ability to change our thinking is directly related to who we are being and what we are doing, you know? And we can be, a lot of times I found my space in the space of, you know, I'm really trying to be the best that I can be and I'm trying to do what God commands. But at the same time, I didn't want to go pick up the Bible that I know has the answers. Or I didn't want to call somebody who I knew had the answers. Mm-hmm. And this is just me from my thinking. Like I knew that I could have been doing better But at the moment, I allow my thinking to stop me and put me in a corner instead of that forward movement. And then the last question is have. What do I want to have right now? Right now. I just focus on this one moment. What do I want to have right now in this instant? And it's so funny. It's Listen, it's something as simple as, and I told y'all the story. It's something as simple as, Lord, I really would like a bottle of water right now putting that in my mind instead of complaining about how thirsty I was. And before I could even say, can you bring me a bottle of water? The little nail tech lady said, Hey, would you like some water? I was like, yes, girl, what's the water? You know, (laughs) be, do, have. Those three things have helped me so much, Miss Brenda, I'm telling you. And that's changing your thinking is one of the hardest things we're going to ever do in life. It's a continuous work and it's hard. Because every single second something is happening in life. So that's the hardest. That's I tell you, that's the hardest thing. But I promise you, this be, do, have. If you can write it down somewhere, it'll help you. It'll help you. Try it this week. And text me. Text me when you try it, Miss Brenda. I will. Thank you. (laughs) Melinda, I just want to add really quickly to what's come up for me is if you're uncomfortable, you're on the right track. Yes. (laughs) yes that's so true oh my gosh especially with this forgiveness thing man listen man I've been so uncomfortable so many days I want to just go in my bed and take a nap because like no no get up and keep moving so you I love that Miss Sarah anybody else anybody else Miss Melinda yes ma'am change your thinking it took me back to what we were saying last week about the surrendering and um, I had wrote down um, the things that I had surrendered was my mind because um, I was thinking the right thoughts about um, uh, we're going to reorg on my job and it's, it's very hard. It's, it's really, really hard. And, and people were calling me and talking, you know, discussing how they felt about it. And I found myself losing my positivity, losing my hope. You know, so I had to say that let that I surrendered my mind back to God to let this mind be in me that was also in Christ Jesus, so I can keep my focus. Because sometimes when you let 
my people in. They make you uh, lose your focus on what you know the path you should be going down. And so, um, and another thing helps me with changing my thinking is that when I go through different things, um, I what I try to do is, well, what I do is I say, Lord, I'm going through this because I'm gonna meet somebody that's gonna need what I'm going through to know that they can make it through, you know? And when I think like that, it helps me to go through it better instead of going on my own, poor me, you know, cause you know, I, honey, I can, I can play that violin with the whole orchestra, you know, first chair, that's me, you know, I can play, I can play it good. But I think what I think about um, that, the Lord's going to put somebody in my path that's gone through exactly what I'm going through. And he always does. He always does. So here comes that compassion, you know, versus the, the sympathy part, you know, because we can really relate because we've actually gone through it. And then you have a greater testimony. That's so true. I love that, that being able to so much again for joining and I hope that this week five of forgiveness boot camp has been helpful to you in some way and that you are able to take one of these keys and unlock the door to a greater life this week and in the weeks and years to come be blessed be well I love you for real and I will see you next time right here on this podcast with me your girl Melinda Rackley the inspiration engineer Bye, y'all.